0: when you're interviewing for a new job, you have got to negotiate the benefits package. You know, what kind of benefits they're gonna give you, it really matters. I mean, sometimes companies will try to give you an amazing package and other times it might just be a little bit kinda, yeah. Of you know? And so they might, they might say, you know, we got really great medical insurance for you, you know? Or they, they might turn around and and offer you like some cheap little chintzy gym vouchers that you're never, ever going to use. And so, you know, you got to kind of negotiate these things up front. Are they going to, are they going to offer you like something amazing, you know, like a, like a great 401k or, or one of the most popular and important benefits right now paid time off so that you can actually really manage life in the way that you need to manage it. Or, you know, are they going to say, "Hey, we got a really fun environment, so you could play ping pong on your breaks," you know, back in a dark corner of the building. You know, what are the benefits uh, that they're going to be offering you? And this is something that you're going to want to think about. You're going to you'd want to negotiate. You know, so you get your little box of bennies going, and you got to figure out what's the package overall. You know, the difference between having a Good job and a great job might very well come down to the benefits package. You know, some employers are going to try to wow you, but they might be pretty lame, and others are going to try to recruit and retain employees with an incredible set of benefits. And in this series, uh, we're doing this whole series called Superlative. And the idea behind it is that we're, we're going to explore how we live this superlative sort of Christian life. Not, not just like a good Christian life and not a meh kind of Christian life, but but a genuinely superlative Christian life. And of course, that means that we're going to be loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you want to get on the fast track to that and experience the superlative, the superlative experiences of God, then one of the best possible ways to do that is to cultivate a heart of gratitude. And you can guess how you cultivate a heart of gratitude. It comes down to the benefits. It's the benefits package because God doesn't skimp on the benefits that he offers. So what does the Bible have to tell us about this? Well, open, if you would, to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We were in this this chapter, this uh, psalm, a couple of weeks ago, and there's still some more in here that I wanted to kind of explore with you. But the gist of Psalm 103 is that we can never forget the benefits of following Jesus. We can never forget it. And so he says Psalm 103 verse 1, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. See the Bible doesn't hesitate to woo us with the benefits package that is unsurpassed by anything that this world offers a book i was reading recently it pointed out that the that the root word here right of of benefits bene apparently in latin this means you can guess what does it mean it means good and so the 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 kind of the the baseline is simply the the good things and when we talk about this there's really a a package this author explained how all of these benefit packages, all of these pieces of bennies will fit in. You've got, of course, the benefits. And that means all the stuff, the good things that you are receiving. And what that means is you've got to recognize the things that are genuinely good. If you see things that are good, but you don't really understand them, or you don't know that they're good, you don't know that they're good for you, you might miss out. You could turn around and say, you know, I really like the ping pong table because I don't really understand what this whole 401k is. And then you get a guy who comes up alongside, you, goes, hey buddy, listen, you're young, 401k, you want to start on this right away. This is huge, this is important. Like, I wish I had done this when I was young and getting into it, but this is a key thing. But you know, you've got to actually see a benefit and understand that it is in fact good. That it is a good thing, but it's not just about the benefits. You also have to recognize that there is a benefactory, right? And so you've got the you've got a source, you've got a, a you've got a, a factory that produces good, which of course for us is a person that produces good. It's a God who gives us good things. It's a producer of good things, and and so that means that someone has good intentions for you someone has good intentions for you, which means it's not from you. It's not because of your effort. It's not because of something that, that you deserve. This is simply something that the one who produces good on your behalf is giving to you. And this whole idea of a benefactor, this is a this is a necessary step for us. If we don't understand, if we don't see that God actually is committed to producing good for us, we will always miss out on his benefits package. But of course, there is also the beneficiary. This is you. This is the one who actually gets to say, yes, these things were for me. And you've got to be able to own that. You've got to be able to step into that to recognize that God is pouring out his good things on you all the time. And you're going to need all of these because God has put together a benefits package for you. And he is doing it. He is offering it to you in in order to woo you away from the, the counterfeit benefactors that are out there that are trying to draw you away from him. And so he's, he is putting together a package and he is saying, listen, this is what I am offering to you. So what are, the, what are these benefits that God is pouring out on us? What does this benefits package look like? Well, Psalm 103 highlights five bennies, these five benefits. You'll see it starting in verse 3. It says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He forgives all your sins. And this is such an important idea. Now, because the Hebrew language doesn't have punctuation you can't bold and underline things in the text that that often the way that they would give uh, primacy to something is they would put it first in the list and so i think that that's partly what's going on here is that he starts with this because all of the other benefits that god offers us starts with god forgiving us he says that 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 you know god will forgive your sins and so you know we reach in and we find the cross because we understand that this is the source of our forgiveness. This is how God has decided. He has ordained our forgiveness, that he has allowed this to happen. Look at verse 10. He says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's what the cross was all about. He's actually not going to treat us as we deserve to be treated. We have earned something from him, but he's not going to repay us for our sins. He, in fact, is instead offering us the forgiveness that's found at the cross. And look at verse 11. He does this beautiful thing here. He's kind of stretching the language. He's saying, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So he's like, look at as high as you can see, that is how great this love is. And then he goes on. He's like, as far as the east is from the west, so far... Has he removed our transgressions from us? And I love this idea because, you know, if it were an open plain, you know, a flat kind of a, a surface, then yeah, east and west, they just go on and on and on forever. Uh, but it even works if you think of our planet, like if, if you kind of thought of the, the, the globe, because, you know, if you were traveling to the, you know, traveling north and you were heading north and you get up to the North Pole, as soon as you get up there, then you go past it and you actually start going south again. Right until you get to the South Pole. Then you you kinda if you could walk that whole way, you'd do the same thing. You'd start at the South Pole, you'd be like, oh now I'm going north again. And so I guess you could say you could measure the distance between north and south. But if you start, if you start walking east, when do you stop? You don't. You just you just keep going east. And if you were going west, you would just keep going west. You know, the idea here is that there is absolutely no limit to how far God has separated your sins from you. And he goes on as a father in verse 13, has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He's using all of these different ways of describing the same thing, that God has forgiven us. Now, you know, some of us here, you're determined to pay for your own sins. It's part of our culture. It's part of how we grew up. But we want to pay for our own sins. We, want to, we, we sort of beat ourselves up. We carry our, our guilt on like slouched shoulders and like a bent back. And the greatest gift that God is, is offering to you is forgiveness. So do you want it? You've got to ask yourself this. Do you want it? Because if you do, it's yours. It's yours for the taking. You know, maybe this morning you're thinking about this, and you're like, you know what? I've been dealing with my own sin, and I've been paying for my own sin. I've been carrying the weight of my own sin, and I don't want to anymore. And we want to talk with you. And we want to pray with you. And we're going to, you can just let us know there in the chat. If you're at uh, you can email us, text us. You can just let us know that you want to talk with someone. You want us to pray for you. And you want to start to step into this forgiveness that is yours. We want to encourage you to do that. We also see there that it says that God heals all your diseases and so I think what we can how we can describe this is that God sustains us and so you know I'm just grabbing some some zinc pills because you know you should all be taking zinc when you're starting to feel like you're not quite well and so so here's the thing about this I this verse I think really is about our physical health but I think it is much more than a promise to simply miraculously heal us I think I think it is more than that See, God does heal, like miraculously, even today. It's not just something he did back in the the time of Jesus or, you know, in the apostles or anything like that. I think even today, sometimes we pray for a miracle and God will sometimes say yes, and he'll do it. But But I... but I think, and of course when that happens, we should be unbelievably grateful, and of course, understandably, we get super excited about that. But I think this whole idea of God as healer, especially in the context of the Old Testament, I think it is much more than that. And and I would even, I'd like to say it like this, like God is, he's even more than a miraculous healer. It's easy for us to think about that as the main category when, when we think of it in light of Jesus and, and the New Testament. But, but I think it's more than that. Because God is actually responsible for all of your health. Not just your miraculous health. He's responsible for all of it. See, in the ancient world, people would have been considered fortunate to make it out of childhood. And if you were actually blessed enough to make it to old age, that was rare. And people would look at that and just think God had poured out his incredible blessings on you. If a person had their eyesight when they were, you know, 40 and 50 years old, this was an incredible thing. If they were still free of diseases, if they were physically healthy, all of this would have been viewed as just one of you know, a whole host of God's great benefits. And in the ancient world, they would have known that all of that was something to look to God and be grateful for. But, you know, today, of course, we sort of get a sense of this, right? There are tons of healing sorts of professions. We, of course, have uh, doctors, but there's also physical therapists. They kind of bring their own sort of, of healing. There are nutritionists, and they bring their own sort of healing. There are counselors who can kind of Work in the in the emotions and in the head, and they bring their own sort of of healing. And so, when you have to have your your health buttressed, and when when you want to make certain that you're free of illness, right? We have all of these incredible essential workers, right? We learned we talked about this all year. Who are the essential workers? Well, we know, you know. Now we we think about it, we talk about them in ways that we never have. We know the police were essential workers. We needed them because they help keep our bodies safe we know the medics the doctors of course the nurses we've talked about that and put signs in our front yards as we rightly should thanking all of our essential workers we started talking about how custodians and sanitation workers were essential essential to us because they they help keep the garbage from piling up and they help keep disease at bay we we talked about the whole uh the the whole food industry Right? From, from the farms to the truckers to the, 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 the plants where they were processing all of the food. And we were like, yes, all of... Essential. Essential. They bring us health. They provide. And so we are unbelievably grateful for all of their work. They're, in a sense, healers. God is responsible for all of your health. He's responsible for all of your capabilities, all of your accomplishments. Anything that, you're, that your sharp mind has been able to achieve is a gift from God. Every single uh, thing that your hands have been able to build or construct that was strength given to you by God. All of it. Every breath that you wake with, it's a gift from God. This ought to produce in us this abundance of gratitude. We also see in verse uh, 4, God redeems your life from the pit. And and so here, you know, I've got, you know, I got a... I have a truck, I have a, a, like a four by four and uh, it's kind of a big truck and I keep a toe strap in it and I, I keep a toe strap in it because I'm kind of hoping that like, well, it's brand new. It's like never been used. I'm kind of hoping that like one of these days I can help someone who's like in a pit, right? They So they kind of slide off the road or maybe, hey, maybe this is the storm. I'm going to make sure I take it with me because like, you know, people get in trouble and they slide off the road and I want to be able to like strap them up and pull them out, right? I'm going to help them get pulled. I want to pull them out of this pit and so you have to stop and ask why is it that we are in the pit well you see according to the scriptures it's because we're weak it's because we are frail it's because when you die they're going to put you in a pit and there's nothing you can do about that look at verse four uh 14 He says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. We are not able to pull ourselves out of this pit. See, you're in the pit because you can't get out of the pit. You can't take care of yourself though we like to believe that we can, we like to believe that we're able to do all of these things for ourselves, the scriptures make makes it clear that we need a leg up. We need a a hand down. We need God to intervene and to pull us out of this pit. When you go through the rest of the Psalms, what you'll find is that this is a promise, not only to meet you in your weakness, but it is a promise to pull you out of your physical death. This is a promise of resurrection. This is a promise that God isn't going to leave you in the pit. Where are you going to get a benefit like that? He also tells us in that same verse that God crowns you with love and compassion. So imagine this whole process, right? You're coming to grips with your own frailty and your own weakness and your own sin. This is what Trevor spoke about last week. I hope you guys checked out uh, Trevor's message. If you haven't yet, you should definitely go and uh, check out that message. I mean, it was it was fantastic, and you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna wrestle uh, with these ideas that he was presenting. But this, he 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 talked about this sort of idea. And you know what this is like? I mean, you have guilt, you have shame. Your head bows low in humiliation. The pressures of this world, they they kind of they kind of compound with your fears and your failures. And all of these sort of press in so much so that at times you might even long for the pit. And so what does God do? In those times. What does God do? Right? The world piles on high and heavy. Criticism starts to mount from left and from right. Failures. They're pointed out at each turn. What does God do? In verse 4, it says that he crowns you. So here's a little award. You know, you can think of it like this. Like, God, this is for one of my my sons. This is an academic achievement uh, kind of award. Um, And uh, this is one of these things that we do to recognize people, right? And so we give you an award, right? And so in the ancient world it was similar when you start talking about crowns. We don't really talk about crowns, we don't really kind of think about the victor's crown or even a royalty crown, it's just kind of not our world. But you know when you get an award, when somebody recognizes you, when somebody says, listen this person has value, that they matter. This is sort of like what this verse is talking about when he says, He's crowning you with love and compassion. It means that he isn't giving you what you deserve. Instead, God is placing love and compassion on your head like a crown. And I, I just, I love this picture, right? So in a few verses, you got to kind of put yourself in the scene here. So in a, in a, in a couple of verses they're going to be talking about the throne room of God. And, and this is so cool because you're in a throne room, right? And so pick, it brings in all these pictures of like royalty. It's a throne and there's a king and there's royalty and there's this great hall and you can kind of like just let your imagination run wild with it. And then all of a sudden you decide to sort of look around this throne room. You're going to just kind of glance over the, the crowd and who else is wearing a crown? You. You. You are. God is crowning you. It also says that God satisfies you. He satisfies you. This is sort of a summary. I think of it more as kind of like a catch-all, right? So in case one of these other benefits hasn't grabbed your attention, in case there's something else that you feel like you lack he's kind of saying here listen he's going to god satisfies your desires and so you got to reach in and you got to ask yourself what is it that would satisfy my desires and you know who knows what it might be for you it might be chocolate and so you might have a really giant chocolate bar, which I can't take the whole thing out because we we, we ate a lot of it because it, we were long in setting set up. But, you know, so you, you he satisfies your desires. But what's really going on here, of course, is that at some point, you're looking through all of these things and you think, these are amazing, these benefits, these things that God is offering me. It's incredible. But I'm wrestling with insecurities or I'm struggling with... You know this this besetting sin that I keep coming back to again and again. I'm 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 overwhelmed, or I or I long for this relationship that I don't have, or I regret this thing that I did have that I I, I don't have anymore. You see, all of this, they point to these desires. Some misplaced, others are just unfulfilled in this world. And God is saying, listen, no matter what your heart is crying out for. I'm going to satisfy that too. I'm going to satisfy that too. And you know, if we were to make reflecting on all of God's benefits, on His, His benefits package to us, if we were to 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 make uh, give ourselves a regular diet of of reflecting on all of these benefits, it would create in us a radical gratitude for our God it would do this incredible thing and it would lead us into this superlative Christian life where we love God with all of our heart mind soul and strength and yet so often we don't why well of course the psalmist has already seen why remember what he started with forget not forget not see the psalmist knows that we will forget. See, instead of filling our minds and our souls with this kind of stuff, we fill our minds and our souls with the equivalent of junk food, right? We fill our bodies with junk food. And do you know what actually causes kind of brain damage? I, I saw this article. Can eating junk food lead to memory loss and it goes on to explain a study. This was super depressing um, because you know of course this kind of a thing about junk food and we think about the Western diet anyway. The article has all sorts of uh, interesting ideas. It talks about the strong correlation between the hippocampal dependent learning and memory measures and Western style diet causing neurocognitive impairments following short-term exposure and on and on. But the gist of it is they took some healthy people and they put them on a junk food diet right and so they put them on this junk food diet and before long they started seeing cognitive decline cognitive decline they're eating junk food and they're starting to forget things and their minds are starting to get worse and worse now can you imagine this junk food is actually decreasing your memory it is it is actually making you more and more forgetful who in the world would continue to eat junk food knowing this what what was i saying what was that i oh yeah that's right yeah forgetting we're talking about forgetting things that's it so let's that was a. you guys get that was a joke i can't see if you guys are like laughing or anything so i don't even know if this was funny but anyway i thought it was Funny. Uh, anyway, so I, this is, I think this is pretty ironic, this whole forgetting thing. And, here, and here's why. So in this passage and elsewhere in the Bible, God is, is telling us, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. But even in this passage, we start to see that, that God has selective memory. He isn't going to hold our sins against us. It's as if, as if he is forgetting them, and in fact, we see it elsewhere in the Bible that he he says he is forgetting these things. He has some sort of selective memory when it comes to his children, and I think this is fascinating. It's actually a really cool theology to kind of think about and study and reflect on God's forgetfulness. But I can't I can't really uh, develop it much here, but. Uh, And I I think this would be powerful as a meditation for you guys this week. And so I found an article that I think you guys would be interested in. And so if you do want this article on God's forgetfulness, which I think could be a great meditation tool for you this week, then uh, just let us know. We're going to drop it in uh, the chat. You can text it to us. Just let us know uh, that you want uh, a copy of this article. So just text the word forget to the texting number... Uh, we'll send you the article, and uh, anyone who does request the article is also going to be entered into a raffle this week. We're going to be giving away some really cool bennies, some uh, some gifts uh, in this raffle. And so request it, and uh, we will automatically enter you into the raffle, which we'll be uh, doing sometime uh, this week. So why, why do we forget the greatness of and the goodness of God. And I think we forget because of this steady supply of junk theology. So what do we have to do? Well, we have to remember to remember. We have to remember to remember. I know that sounds a little silly, but just think that through with me for a second. Our lives are so cluttered. Our minds, uh, we, we, we have so much going on that we just We do just forget. Well, we haven't made space in our lives or in our souls to do any sort of real reflection, to even just try to remember. And so that would be one of the first things that we would be able to do. We just remember to remember. And so maybe it's reflecting on the stories of God's goodness to you in the past. Or maybe you're going to want to start a journal and start keeping a record of some of these things. Or maybe practice the daily examine that we've mentioned uh, in at other times. But, but the, the gist of it is we want to slow down our souls. We want to slow them down so that we can make room... In our daily lives in order to remember the the good things of God. And that will start to to fan your gratitude into a red-hot flame. We also have to remember that we deserve nothing. We have a sense of entitlement This idea of I deserve something. Psychologists, they talk about entitlement as an unrealistic, unmerited, or inappropriate expectation of favorable living conditions and favorable treatment at the hands of others. And as soon as you say something like this, right, we start thinking about entitlement, it's easy for us to think of others who we think are entitled. Uh, they are, they, at least they think they're entitled. And in fact, we might even think of an entire generation of people that we say, oh, these are all entitled people. And, you know, and so, but I don't want you to be thinking about other people right now. Just be, be thinking about how you might be exhibiting some of the, the symptoms of entitlement, you know, so if you want to work through this list with me, you can. Have, do you have a an exaggerated sense of self-importance, the belief in your own superiority, often accompanied by fantasies about beauty or your brilliance or your achievements? Maybe you've got a resistance to seeing and meeting the needs of others, or maybe a refusal to compromise or difficulty accepting others as equals. Or maybe you have some self-pity or some attention-seeking behaviors. All of these can be a sign of a sense of entitlement. Maybe you lash out at others when they don't get their way, right? So you don't want to be thinking about the other people. Don't be looking around, you know, your living room or anything like that. You know, just be for yourself. A person who has a sense of entitlement would usually believe That they ought to be admired and respected. I think we struggle in this sometimes, maybe more often than we would care to admit. Now, we already saw a couple weeks ago, and of course today, that we don't deserve God's benefits. What we deserve is judgment, what we deserve is death. You deserve the pit. And yet God, in his love and in his mercy, has decided not to give us what we deserve. We also have to remember that every gift is from God. Every gift. We forget this so readily. Everything we have is from God. Deuteronomy 8 going after this exact idea. Just listen to how it phrases it. It says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Be careful. That's what we're trying to do, right? We don't want to forget. And what is, how do they explain it? What do they say? They say, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you, brought you, he gave you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives. There's pride that starts to to infect and corrupt our memories. And instead, we have to remember that every gift is from God. Here's the gist of it. Gratitude is going to come from a greater awareness of God's goodness to you. And so how do you do that. And I want to encourage you this week, make room to do this. Take time to capture and reflect on God's goodness and, and try to take uh, that, that little nugget of gratitude you have and to, and to fan that flame and, and increase your own longing and your own understanding and your own desire for taking your gratitude to the superlative level. And if you want a great way to start that, then remember the cross. And remember why Jesus had to die. And that's really what we're going to go now into a time of reflection on.